we need to come to some understanding over the course of our careers about what our highest and best use is. That's a very hard thing to do. It's very easy for me to say it. It's incredibly hard to do. The real way we put it talking about exceptional leaders in the book is that exceptional leaders reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Have you struggled in the past to explain or identify your leadership style? It's a common question at job interviews. What's your leadership style? Which I know most of my clients need help with to nail it and not waffle on for minutes to the point that they lose their audience. If this is you, or if you're curious to know which leadership style you have, then this episode is for you. This episode is also a great listen if you are in the process of getting used to the new world of work and the new ways employers want to borrow, not buy your expertise by hiring you on a permanent role. Project type work, short-term contracts and part-time retainers are becoming more and more common at every level, including senior execs and C-level. In this episode, we will also address this. Because my guest for this episode is Robert Jordan, the CEO of Entering SX, an organization that matches top executives with companies around the world to work on short-term projects that are impactful and need excellent leadership support. Based on his work at Entering SX and his research with thousands of leaders and companies, him and his co-author Olivia Wagner wrote... Right Leader, Right Time, Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career and Company. In this book, they describe four leadership styles, fixer, artist, builder, and strategist, and we will address each one and give examples in this episode. If this is the type of podcast that can help your career, please consider subscribing to it. Hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you found us. And if you are a longtime follower on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd really appreciate and love it if you could please take a few minutes to provide us with a five-star rating. And if you are a longtime follower on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd love it if you could please leave us a five-star rating, or a short review. It means the world to us to have your support, and it can help the podcast in ways you cannot even imagine. It's a great marker of success, and it helps us reach out to more listeners and more interesting guests. And it can help the podcast in ways you cannot even imagine. It's a great marker of success, and it helps us reach out to more listeners and interesting guests for you. Finally, I'd like to remind you that, yes, I am a career coach and you can work with me if you want to. Many professionals reach out to me asking this question and it's a bit odd for me because I feel like I talk about my career services all the time on this podcast. The best way to learn more about my services and engage with me as a coach is to go to my website, renatabernardi.com. That's R-E-N-A-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-E.com. You will find all my services there and also ways to connect with me if you have questions. There are links to this website in the episode show notes as well. 
Okay, without further ado, here is Robert Jordan discussing leadership and entering work. I'd love to know more about you. Are you from Chicago originally? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes? Born um, and bred. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, Chicago is, obviously, it's a big city. It has its challenges, and despite the challenges, it's in my DNA, and so mm-hmm. I'm not leaving. <laughs> you know, you find a lot of people, it's also cold in the winter, and so, you know, I have a lot of friends where it's like, oh, go to California, go to Arizona, go to Florida, and I'm like, I'm not moving. No. I don't mind. I love the weather down there, but. Yeah. Now it's your home. Tell me about your career story. You were saying before that you're a scrappy entrepreneur, but how did it start? Well, I was in business school at Kellogg and I dropped out to start the first magazine in the world that covered online services and internet. And, wow. Okay. When uh, was this? What year was that? 1986. Okay. Wow. Early beginnings. Oh, yeah. And that was five years before there even was a World Wide Web. Yes. So I did that. I was in magazine publishing. In the beginning, I made every mistake you can possibly make in business. I mean, some really boneheaded moves. Hiring one of my best friends to head up sales. That was not a good move because, you know, what happens if it doesn't work? Running out of cash every month, not a good move. Have to keep going back to investors and lots of initial failure. But eventually, of course, you know, online came around. And mm-hmm. in the end, I could do no wrong. And the magazine was called Online Access and it put me on the Inc. 500 list, which are the fastest growing businesses in the US. And then I looked like a genius. And, yes, I uh, remember Online Access. Yes. Really? Yes, yes, because so. my father was in the business and I think my husband too. So I lived in the Silicon Valley in the 80s when you were sort of starting up. So there oh, you go. Oh, great. Yeah. It, it my dad sold. Was working yeah, it sold on newsstands all around the world. Anyway, so, you know, when the internet completely overran the world, having a print source of information wasn't necessary, I didn't think. And I sold it to a big publisher and I was... The Zen expression, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm-hmm. Well, I sold it. And I was kind of like, what am I going to do with my life? And the online world was a very small community pre-World Wide Web. Mm-hmm. And there were only like one or two conferences a year. And there was a guy who came to these conferences. And every time he showed up, he had a different business card. And I was trying to make a joke when I saw him. He was coming up to me at a new card. Like, you know, dude, can't you hold down a job? And Mm-hmm. He said, no, you don't get it. He said he had this team and he would parachute in with venture funding because a lot of, we were in Silicon Valley at this meeting. And he said, a lot of venture capitalists were not going to give a rookie entrepreneur a check for five or $10 million and just, you know, ride off into the sunset. And so he said he had this team and he would parachute in with the money that blew my mind away. Mm-hmm. I was, I loved early stage tech was around a lot of entrepreneurs. And then he handed me the card and the card said CEO of Yahoo. Oh, wow. (laughs) So in the online world, we all knew Yahoo was going to go public on zero revenue, not zero earnings, zero revenue. Yes. And so my friend who became my mentor, he literally in a 180 day span went from incorporating Yahoo to taking it public at a multi-billion dollar valuation. And I was transfixed, transformed. 
They said to him, you're now my mentor. I'm doing this. This is going to be my career. You know, he had a weird job title. He was an interim CEO. And I said, I'm now an interim CEO. I went and bought two domain names, interimceo.com and interimcfo.com and started doing projects, doing gigs and did that. Lots of failure. I was mostly working with early stage tech, but also some incredible successes. I've been in three IPOs. I was the lead person for a number of companies that sold to strategic buyers for very high multiples. Right. So it was a great ride. Social networks came around, Facebook, MySpace, LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I wonder how many people in the world are like my mentor and I with these weird job titles. And I'd been approached because I owned these primary domains in the world, interimceo.com, interimcfo.com, interimcio.com. And a lot of, you know, hundreds of executives kind of showed up on my doorstep, kind of raising their hands, saying hello. And so we launched a business called Interim Execs, and that turned into what it exists now, which is a kind of global matchmaker between okay. organizations and whether you want to call it project-based interim fractional leadership. That's so interesting. Where did you recruit people from? to become those entering executives? It's a great question. And part of the answer, Renata, is that we've been doing this so long mm -hmm. and our search ranking is so high around the world that anyone interested in this from the executive side in terms of career will find us probably before they'll find anybody else. It's become its own source of gravity, if you will. I see. In the beginning... We launched as a free search engine for anyone to find an executive, and we were doing our own original research. But at this point, we've become a bit of a magnet. And so every day, executives show up from around the world who either are already experienced as mm -hmm. interim executives, fractional, project-based, however you want to call them, or they're new and they're exploring it. And we have hundreds of pages of content on the site in both at corporations so they can learn more about how to use these executives and tons of material for executives on how to do this. At one point, we had recorded 10 hours, kind of a program for executives who are new to it, going over every aspect of what it is to be an interim executive. We interviewed about 25 veteran leaders who were career dedicated to doing interim and asked them to talk mm -hmm. about every aspect of the career. What's in it for you? What's your business model? Are you a matchmaker? We get paid to make great matches because we are part of the fee structure of the contract. Right. So we're not like, you know, headhunters, the permanent recruiters. They typically, you sign a retainer, the corporation signs a retainer, and then they go out and search. We don't do that. We do not accept retainers. We choose organizations show up, companies show up, public, private, small, large we're choosing, you know, where we think we can make a great match. Mm -hmm. And if we can, we're introducing one or more executives to a company. And if they hit it off, we are writing a contract between mm -hmm. ourselves and an organization and then a contract with the executives. And so we collect the funds and we act as the agent for the executive and collect the money and then turn around and pay the executives. Yes. Robert, is it sustainable for executives to opt into entering work? 
or is it something that you should choose to do once your career has run most of its course and you're in a privileged position where you can be without work for months on end and then eventually find you know a contract that brings you not only money but energy and fulfills you is that how it works for the people that work for you that is a great question and historically it has been the latter in that you are well established in your career and your level of confidence and then you can do this and you can sustain not working all of the time you don't need to work all of the time the way we practice this you can't be retired and work with us so just to be clear this has to be career calling for the right. executives you work with we are not interested in working with retired folks and we are not interested in working with people who are much more predisposed for permanent roles and they're just trying this out or will do mm -hmm. it on the side. This has become its own career calling around the world. That ship has sailed. This is the way the world is now organized is that there are many project-based roles and they now go all the way into the C-suite. You know, mm -hmm. it used to be it was lower level. And then you see work that got farmed out or outsourced around the world. And then you see project-based, especially in technical fields and coding and architecture and programming and financial. Well, now it's in the C-suite. Yes. So the direct answer to your question is you would be hard pressed to do this. You know, if you really need a paycheck, it's not time for you mm -hmm. to go do this career-wise. I would say though, that because the entire world is becoming kind of a gig economy, the line is not very sharp. What the important thing is that you have to go into the marketplace with the distinct you, this thing that makes you distinct. And the more you do that, it will turn into leadership roles. And so at some point it may be indistinguishable. Take the progression of someone with technical talent, right? There are many people in the world who are essentially project-based and they're great at, at programming. They're great at coding. They're great at architecture. And they're good at it and they're confident enough that they can move from organization to organization, role to role. It could look permanent for a year or two. It could literally be that it's outsourced projects. Well, that progression at some point can lead into roles where now you're called the chief technology officer. Now you're called the chief information officer. Now you're called the CISO, right? The chief mm -hmm. information security officer. And you can grow into it. And the beauty of the modern world is they can all be project-based now, right? That kind of progression didn't exist for any of us 30 years ago. Yes. Yes. And so people find you because you know, the amazing work you've done in securing those URLs and establishing your brand. Do you accept everyone or do you have a selection process that they need to go through to be part of the team of interings that you can then showcase to your clients? It's a highly rigorous process. I'm not going to fool anyone listening to this. I don't know admission, you know, around the world. The joke we would make in the United States is it's harder. The, the highest designation we have is called red team. Red stands for rapid executive deployment. Mm -hmm. There's red team, there's red team ready. It's harder to get on the red team than to get into Harvard or Stanford. It's incredibly selective. However, if you own a company, if you're on the board of a company, you think about how high the bar is where you're actually going to take in some form of outside leadership. You have a real need, could be something bad's occurred, could be something great is on the horizon. 
But the bar for you, when it's your company, this is your sacred asset. That bar is so high that the only thing that's going to convince you to get over it is you're going to see someone who's so remarkable, so extraordinary that you're just like, sign me up. So that's the only way we can be as a business. It's not fair. It is not equal. It is what it is. I will say, you know, I know we were going to talk about this, that because of that ranking scoring screening we've done over the past 15 years, it's over 7,000 executives, 50 countries. That's what led us to write the book, Right Leader, Right Time. Mm -hmm. Because in doing all of that ranking, scoring, screening, and then having this ringside seat, because we own the contract. And so while a project is going on, we're talking to the board, we're talking to the owners, talking to the executives and asking, how's it going? Everybody happy, everybody firing on all cylinders. We saw this pattern, which is the majority of executives showing up were having career experiences that you would describe as okay, maybe pretty good, but you would never say, oh my gosh, extraordinary. Yeah. Then at the top end, you look at the top two, 3% exceptional leaders, just crushing it in everything they do. And we saw this pattern of these four different leadership styles, each of which would lead to success, but where those leaders tended to have a dominant thing we called leadership style. Style Mm -hmm. referring to somebody's process and approach and system. Oh, I'd love to talk about the different styles that you identified. Would you mind going through the four different styles with us? Sure. So the four styles we label fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. F-A-B-S, FABS for short. Fixer, artist, builder, strategist. And so we've seen this pattern repeated hundreds of times. And so, you know, this research initially came out as a book, interviews with lots of executives and where we could see these patterns. And now there's also an assessment, which is launching, called FEB's Leadership Assessment. Mm -hmm. And it's about a three-minute assessment you take, and you get a result instantly. And you can agree or disagree with it, but it, it hopefully gives somebody some insights into their own wiring. What does the fixer style looks like? Fixer is the energy that sees the world, sees burning buildings, and the fixer has to keep running into them. So when you think about yourself and your career, and if you're in any form of leadership, problems happen all the time. I mean, I've owned companies for many years. I have to solve problems constantly, but I don't get my energy off of it. And I don't go, oh, goody, another intractable problem. As you and I are talking, Renata, there's a thing that occurred in the world called FTX. It's a crypto exchange that's blown up and there are at least a million creditors. And when it blew up a couple months ago, the U.S. court appointed a CEO, a guy named John Ray, who's a veteran fixer. It wouldn't surprise anybody to learn that prior to FTX, John Ray had been at Enron. Enron mm-hmm. was a massive blow up in the early 2000s. John Ray is wired with fixer energy. He needs crisis to thrive. And when that organization, division, team, client relationships, when that's all solved, the best thing for the fixer to do is to move on to the next crisis. Right. You give a fixer something that's steady state or not going wrong, they're either going to go crazy or they're going to break it just so they can fix it. Yeah. I'm assuming then that the artist is more of a creative leader. Yes, the artist views the world as a blank canvas or a piece of clay to be molded. Standout person in the world that everyone 
thinks of. You don't even need to say his whole name is Elon, Elon Musk. Right. And I'm specifically refer referring to Tesla, SpaceX, and the Boring Company. Those are acts of innovation that are truly world-changing. And in the beginning where, you know, you look at what he was doing with EV and launching a, a car and everyone thought he was crazy and how was he going to make money? And now look where we are. There's essentially a global movement, which is no more gas combustion engines. You got one guy to thank for, for creating the tipping point there. So, so it is the creative energy. The artist is the renegade on your mm -hmm. team. They're not the most liked. They're, they can be disagreeable. They cannot help but continue to create. And yep. it's not easy. I'm very strongly wired artist energy. And the way we write in the book is the artist leader is to your peril. Right. Uh, because you can't turn it off. And right. you shouldn't. You shouldn't turn it off. It's just you need to be very aware of how you form or exist on a team. Mm -hmm. when you have that energy. I'm still trying to find myself. So let's go to the third one. What was it called again? Builder. Builder. Uh, okay. Before it's fixer, artist, builder, strategist. Builder, okay. builder is the energy that takes the small team, nascent product service offering client relationships and takes that to scale, mm -hmm. to market domination. Sometimes it's world domination, but in most cases, builder energy you see can be like dominating a local market. If in your mm -hmm. town, you've got one dominant real estate developer, that's builder energy. Right. There's a pastry, a bakery. I go to Boston a fair amount. And there's a, a bakery chain there that is unbelievable. They're great. And they dominate Boston and the suburbs. And I'm not sure they're in any other city. But at the heart of that business, there's a builder who says, I'm not only going to have the best product, I own Boston. This is mm -hmm. it. That's builder energy. What you tend yeah. to see with builder is that launches product service company and they do something great. Like they dominate a city, they go public. And for a lot of builders at that point, they need to move on. This is how you see people at companies where they go public and that challenge is gone and they will now move to a new organization, a new team, a new startup. It's not necessarily entrepreneurs, but builder energy has market domination on the brain. That's me. I'm a builder person for sure. <laughs> and I was well known for being a builder. I think I still am, you know, even now from time to time, I do get job offers, even though I have my own business and I, I'm not sort of accepting anything, but it's because of the reputation that I can build Interesting, isn't it? It just stays with you, doesn't it? Yes. And, mm. and there are key traits to successful leaders in terms of what they do with this ability they develop over time, which is they keep reinforcing it. It keeps deepening and reinforcing their success and their confidence. And the flip side, the danger here is that there are those folks who do not focus, they do not concentrate there's too much of trying to be all things to all people. Yes. The majority of executives fit into this category. If you confronted them and you said, you know, you're kind of all over the place, to a man and woman, they would deny it. And yes. yet, it's easy to see from the outside that, that they do not have the demonstrated measurable success that you see among exceptional leaders.
Yes. I had this spiel, you know, part of my pitch was to say that I could take a project to a fully fledged organization. So I can take something from being a project or early beginnings to something that was fully fledged and established and build a reputation. So that was part of my my shtick. <laughs> I don't need to do that anymore, but that was it. I want you to give us an example of a strategist so that I can then ask you more questions about it. So who who would be an example of a well-known you mean a, example? Example of first of a builder or strategist? Oh, yes. Yes. Let's builder. go for a builder too. So builder is interesting. In a lot of cases, they're not necessarily on the radar in the same way as like a Elon Musk or a fixer because they're not necessarily all that public. You know, for example, the dominant real estate developer developer in your town, that's classic builder energy and everyone in the town knows them. But outside mm -hmm. that town, maybe not. One standout example in the world of builder energy is Sheryl Sandberg. She was the number two at Facebook, now Meta, for 14 years. So a lot of people have heard of Sheryl Sandberg because she also wrote a book called Lean In, mm -hmm. which became very popular around the world. Sheryl Sandberg is also a cautionary tale. So here's the builder side of what she did. She goes and joins a young company called Facebook with a very inexperienced CEO, Mark Zuckerberg. They had a couple hundred employees. Even with just a couple hundred employees, the revenue was already $100 million. But she was the veteran, and he was not. And in seven years of being the number two, the COO at Facebook, she grew that organization to 70,000 employees, to $70 billion in revenue, to just being dominant around the planet. I'm not sure anyone can come up with an example in modern times of a builder that extraordinary. But here's the thing. It's interesting because when she started, I think she had stated publicly that she was essentially signing up for a five-year tour of duty. That's really typical for builder to think yes. in that kind of increment. Well, seven years, again, how are you going to compare that success to anything else anyone else has produced? Problem is she stayed. What mm. happened in the next seven years? Cambridge Analytica scandal, election interference, a pivot to VR called Meta that I'm not sure really engaged her. A lot of distraction from having published Lean In. I think she was courageous for doing it. I think she had ended up with a lot of arrows in her back from becoming a target. And so she's a phenomenal leader. A cautionary example, I think, for a lot of builders, which is understand, you know, in the book, we have this phrase we love. It's called highest and best use. Mm -hmm. And for all of us, all of us, you, me, we need to come to some understanding over the course of our careers about what our highest and best use is. Yes. That's a very hard thing to do. It's very easy for me to say it. It's incredibly hard to do. The real way we put it talking about exceptional leaders in the book is that exceptional leaders reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. So hard when you're early in your career. So hard if you're looking around for a job. But if you look at other folks who are having career success, what you tend to see is there are a lot of decisions made. You know, decision comes from the Latin word, which is to kill off. Mm. And what's the modern age? It's FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? Yes. But the reality of it is, is that you have to kind of collect yourself, turn off your phone, get mm. away from the distraction 
to this, you know, this expression, the still small voice. Mm -hmm. There's that thing in you, that internal GPS gyroscope, which is trying to steer you in a particular way. And your friends may not like it and your family may not like it, but it is you. And, yes. and that is kind of hopefully inexorably getting to a highest and best use. Yes, uh, that's a, such a good point and so true. I can, as somebody who has now <laughs> identified herself as a builder, I can tell, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me that, frankly, you get bored if you stay for too long, if you're a builder, because if you've built it, then the day-to-day -day is not as exciting for you. The maintenance of what you've built is not as exciting as the early years of building it itself. So, yeah, it's yes. a very good point. And what about the strategist then? Who strategist is, is Yeah, strategist is the leader at scale. Mm. Strategist is the leader at complex, vast, large organizations. The styles we call fixer, artist, and builder tend to be within roles, organizations, teams that are within what Stephen Covey called personal span of control. You know, Stephen Covey, Covey famous author of Seven Habits of Highly yeah. Successful People. And that phrase, personal span of control, you'll find fixer, artist, and builder energy. And you've got a team of five people. You have 10, you have 50, maybe 100. But the key distinction is you know each other. Yes. And you're relying on personal relationships and you're developing trust and it's very key to how that leader leads. Strategist doesn't have that. Strategist, you know, one of the strategist leaders we interviewed for the book, Dr. Janine Davidson, she had been the undersecretary of the Department of Defense in the U.S. You're talking about over a million people. Mm -hmm. And the language that Janine used to describe leadership, oh my gosh, this has nothing to do with fixers, artists, and builders. The language was about systems of systems. Yes. Strategist leaders, you hear lots about loyalty, loyalty to an organization, longevity within an organization, cross-training, becoming cross-functional, gratitude, gratitude to an organization, mentoring, being mentored, all mm -hmm. of that language. You don't hear that from fixers, artists, and builders. The, their mm -hmm. mantra is totally different. The mantra of the, art of the fixer is velocity. Velocity is life. You've got a patient to be saved. The artist, the mantra is creation. It's all about an act of creation. The builder, they got market on the brain. Yeah. For the strategist, no, it's about cadence. It's about mm. cadence that, that inside complex organizations, there's a heartbeat. There's a heartbeat. There's a syncopation to the board, to the marketing function, to the sales team, to operations, to delivery. Everything has this cadence and successful strategist leaders, you feel that heartbeat. You're quickening the pace of that organization. Mm -hmm. It's a different. Yeah. No, no. I, I love how you explained it. Do you find that people can develop themselves to become a strategist? I'm just thinking about leaders that have had a career in a small or medium-sized organization, for example, and have, you know, always had the ambition to scale, can they access tools to their leadership repertoire that makes them more of a strategist? It's a great question, Renata. We're all on the journey. And yeah. 
And so we're all growing in, into hopefully what we're supposed to grow into. Mm-hmm. We're not, this model, you know, we call Fab's leadership styles. This is not trying to pigeonhole a person to saying, you are just the builder. You are just, that's all you are. That's not the case. All of us, anybody in the leadership role, you're bringing every capability you have to bear to yeah. win, however you want to go define that. And so it's going to be a mix. The thing that I think it's akin to the way we described it in the book is like DNA. Yeah. DNA, they're just four proteins. They're called nucleotides. Four proteins yeah. make up all of biological life, whether it's your Aunt Mary, you know, your pet dog whatever. It's just infinite variation of those four proteins. Well, it's the same with leadership. There's infinite variation. And for you, there is, you or I, there's that one particular style that you are going to evolve and grow into. Strategist in a lot of cases is, and and we're not saying that, that leaders don't employ strategy every day. This is a label we gave. We could have called it conductor, pilot, captain, quarterback. It's Mm. It is an energy that tends to grow over time. So a standout example in the world of strategist is Fred Smith, the recently retired founder and CEO of Federal Express, FedEx. FedEx, he was, he led it for 51 years. It started as a paper he wrote when he was in school. If that's Mm -hmm. not an artistic endeavor, this crazy idea, we should deliver packages overnight by airplane. I think the rumor is, you know, the myth is he got a C on it. He starts FedEx. He runs out of money. I mean, he's, he's, you know, this is famous lore about Fred Smith. He went to Las Vegas and gambled to win the payroll, to to meet payroll. If that's not fixer energy, what is? Well, Mm -hmm. then there's building the organization, achieving dominance in the country. Got to check the box. But the enduring thing about Fred Smith is that he thrived as a strategist as Mm -hmm. this leader of a vast complex organization, hundreds of thousands of employees, a level of complexity that is beyond any single human being, that he could be a part of the leadership of that organization. Yes, it's very interesting. I'm just thinking about my own career and also some of my clients, where that transition from being, let's say, a builder to having to scale has burnt them. And it may be, what happens there is that failure doesn't mean you shouldn't try again. That failure just means you need to acknowledge the difference between being who created a a reputation in a career on a builder leadership style that now needs to be more of a strategist if they want to continue to career advance. You don't have to. You can be a well-known builder who then jumps from job to job because of of that reputation. But I can just think of some examples in my own career and in other clients' careers where that that switch just didn't work, at least not at first. And you you need to keep on trying if you want to to scale. Would you agree? Is that how it happens? Yes. I I agree a hundred percent. This is reminding me, uh, you know, we, I had heard this wonderful phrase at one point and And so we put it in the book, which is just because you have a song to sing doesn't mean you don't have to learn how to sing it. And so we're we're going on these journeys. We're on this career journey. And it's not all uncovered at the age of 22 or 24. 
it's this journey of self-discovery that you're going on and and you're determining what that path is, but it doesn't mean that it's self-evident immediately. It is something that with hindsight becomes 2020. Yeah. And you know, I've had this conversation and we presented this model, Fabs, Fixer Artist Builder Strategist, and it was new to all of the leaders interviewed in the book. And we had this set format of asking questions. It was almost like a podcast, but it was not for public consumption, but it was asking these leaders about why this move, why that, why did you go in this way? Why did you reinforce here? There was a certain point in the interviews of saying, this is the premise. This is the thesis for the book. Mm -hmm. Fixer artist, builder, strategist. Does this make sense to you? Do you think there's an application in your life? And if not, you know, they could say, oh, it's crazy. Very interesting kind of revelations from these highly successful leaders, you know, who now had this context, this framework in which to think about their own career journey, as well as people around them. One of the leaders we interviewed, we said this and kind of like, what do you think? Are we crazy? And he said, you know, I was an investor in a company and it was in trouble. And when it was in trouble, we had the greatest CEO. He said, but you know, once the problems got fixed, he wasn't so good anymore. Thought, there you have fixer energy. Mm-hmm. And you're making the exact point. The organization needed to move on. And that leader needed to move on to his yeah. next highest and best use. Mm. Yeah. When organizations come to you looking for entering executives to step in, do they have a preference? I mean, in your eyes, I mean, of course, they don't come and say, I need a builder, I need a fixer. But from what you've observed, is there usually a bias towards a specific type of leadership that organizations look for in project type exec work? Well, it's a great question. And this model of fabs, we don't just apply to project based. Mm -hmm. I think it applies more broadly in work. I would not apply this model like in politics you know, elected office. I don't want to go there with it, um, it at all. But when organizations show up for us, it's kind of, it's glaringly, you know, the lights are going off because we're in a different position from them. The organization that shows up, they're in the situation they're in, hard to see it. When you're looking at it from the outside, you have fresh eyes on it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is one of the advantages to bringing in an outside leader to any organization that's having an issue, which is they're coming at it and they're there's no legacy. There's no axe to grind to figuring it out. Organizations are all smart, though. They're all sophisticated. And so even though you can't solve all the problems, you know what they are. And so, you know, an organization in crisis, there, there are good reasons they're, they're showing up. And, and, the, and this actually, you know, is, is how you can distinguish these leadership styles or not. For example, Fixer, one of the things that draws Fixer leaders to this as their, their chosen work is that in crisis, it's much easier and more obvious to the stakeholders around that something needs to be done. Mm-hmm. That, that may sound easy, but if you just think about it, you, you know, in, in crisis, the board, the customers, the employees, the contractors, the community, everyone drops all of their, their, their biases and prejudices in order to do something. And those other styles and other organizations, you don't have, it's a luxury in a way. It's weird to say it's a luxury in crisis. Give you an example. As you and I are talking, there is a war going on in Ukraine and it caused energy shortfalls throughout Europe. 
And Germany imports a lot of energy and including liquefied natural gas, LNG, and they have no terminal. The planning for a terminal is 15 years. Yeah. It's billions of dollars. It faces so many hurdles in in the developed world, environmental and engineering and just everything. Well, last year, I don't know if you saw the stories, but Ellen, you know, Germany got its first LNG terminal. How long did it take to build? 200 days. Wow. Why? Because a community, the country came together and said, let's put everything else aside other than the sheer laws of physics. Mm. Can you build a terminal in 200 days? You know, can you set all the cement out? Will it cure? I mean, every decision of, of tens of thousands of decisions and they built it. Yeah. That is fixer energy. Yeah. 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 It seems more important now than ever for us to understand those different types of leadership styles because, you know, the past three years since the pandemic started seems to have shaken up the world, you know, in a way that we we were just kind of dormant, weren't we, in the way that we were leading our lives and thinking about life and and thinking about our future. Now it it's shaken us to the core. How has the idea of, I'm going back to entering exec work now, how is the idea of entering executive changed for the past three years since the pandemic for you? Have you noticed a more interest or, or, or less interest? Oh, clearly more. I mean, just our own business. Mm-hmm. Has, this, this exists everywhere. It's just now completely all around the world that this is its own career calling and that the awareness among many companies is, and and this is good news for Mm -hmm. a lot of companies. You know, the largest companies in every country, they don't, they don't lack for money. They don't lack for manpower. They're, they're, they've got tons of it for the rest of us. You know, the, the next 95% of the world mid-sized companies, small companies, they're always constrained. Always. They never have enough money. They never have enough people, manpower, talent to get done what they want to get done if they're mm-hmm. ambitious. Well, the good news is, is that because the world has become so project-based, all kinds of resources are on call around the world for all of us. So you look at one of the biggest use cases around contract interim, whatever you want to call it, is the CFO role. It used to be chief financial officer. Boy, you had to hit a threshold. Your company, 10, 20 million. You just, you couldn't swing it, you know, to have that level of talent. You might've wanted it. You might have sophisticated problems and challenges in finance and accounting. You couldn't Mm -hmm. swing it. Now that's a global resource which is which is that there are many CFOs who are dedicated to fractional and interim work. So even a small company now that says we just need that kind of that level of strategic leadership, but for three hours a month, five hours a month, a day a week, you can have it. Yeah, it's not full time. It, it's not someone's not going to break your budget, mm-hmm. and and that is a a real change. 
from mm -hmm. the way that work used to be organized. You know, there are models where this has been going on. You look to movie making, you know, I'm in the US, Hollywood, right? And Hollywood for a hundred years has been a project-based model. You think of your favorite actor or actress and think of all the hundreds of people that working on making a great movie or a streaming show on Netflix or Amazon or whatever. Mm -hmm. It is the coming together of hundreds or thousands of people, producers, actors, directors, cinematographers, key grip, you know, lighting, blah, blah, blah. They all come together. They make a production. And when it's done, they disband. Yeah. No one got fired. Nobody, nobody's career ended. You know, they do what they are expert at. And then they are going to move on to their next project. And this is what, this is the way they want their careers. And this is the way the world expects it to be. And there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with it. Yeah. This is still, you know, it's not easy because, you know, anybody who's been around for a while knows that their parents or their grandparents lived in a world where the expectation was you were going to have lifetime employment if you went to a big corporation. Mm -hmm. And the world doesn't exist that way anymore. Yes. And, yeah. and got it. That doesn't mean the world has ended. No. Or no. that it's bad. It's a mind shift, isn't it? And it's I think we're shift. we're in the in-between generation, you and I and my clients and the listeners. Our kids think differently from us. They're not as as they they didn't buy into that old-fashioned way of thinking. I don't know what we did when we raised them, <laughs> but they seem to be fine. I, I'll tell you, Renata, I need a better metaphor because the other day I was I was reading about this and it used to be that career was everyone had the image of the ladder and yes. you climb up the ladder step by step and rung by rung and I'm at the top. Right. Yeah. And, and, and a young person was quoted in a story about career and said, I think it's more of a jungle gym. <laughs> I think yeah. you're kind of navigating around. And I thought that's a good, it's somewhat of a good picture, but I'll bet that, metaphor for a lot of people is scary because they hear that word jungle and jungle mm -hmm. sounds impenetrable yeah and and it's going to be a long career of of experiential and and different waypoints on your career and so anybody has a better metaphor i want to hear it because ladder is is outdated yeah it can still apply in the sense of being ambitious and upward thinking in your career but there's nothing wrong with it being a delightful journey that it's an exploration. Well, listeners, pay attention. If you have a better story to tell, just tell tell us, let us know. Message me and I'll let Robert know. <laughs> Robert, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to do this with me. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Renata. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in leadership and entering work, I have other episodes you may want to listen to, like episode 167, What Great Leadership Looks Like, and episode 78, Portfolio Career, What Is It and Is It For You? I will link them in the episode show notes as well. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, and if you're ready to take your career a step further, please check out my website, renatabernati.com. Bye for now and I'll see you next time.